Welcome to the Texas Top 100 Podcast. Today is January 27th, 2020. My name is Brad Kellner, joined alongside the president and co-founder of Texas Top 100, Nils Deco. Nils, what's going on, man? How you doing? I was just having one of those Mondays. It's been kind of one of those Mondays with all the stuff that happened yesterday, and then all of a sudden I think it's kind of a somber tone. I mean, around my office today, just it's, you know... The horrible thing that happened yesterday with you know the death of Kobe and his daughter, and I think a lot of people you know this guy impacted the world. You know, I was listening to the Jerry West uh, interview today on uh, ABC with Robin Roberts and Michael Strahan, and you could just see the impact that Jerry. You know, it, it's really you know hit Jerry hard because this is the guy that drafted him. You know, thirteenth. I mean, basically had Charlotte draft him thirteenth, and I can't remember what year it was, but you know, he saw the greatness in this kid before anybody else did when he was seventeen years old at you know Lower Marion High School there in Philadelphia. So, you know, just the impact of that, what, how he impacted people. You know, women's basketball. It's amazing kind of impact he's going to have on that with his daughter Gigi, who was going to be, they said, kind of the uh, female version of him. So it's been kind of a rotten day, really. No you know, doubt. No based doubt. Based on all the events that happened yesterday. Yeah, it felt like a, a punch to the gut of the entire world yesterday and people all over the place all locations all generations all demographics affected by the passing of Kobe Bryant and of course his daughter Gigi as well uh, Nils is down in Houston and we also have Lucas Vargas our resident Michigan man up at the University of Michigan Lucas what's going on man how you doing so guys uh, another Monday without class up here which is always great for a college student but you know as Nils alluded to uh, a lot to unpack from the weekend in the news cycle. Obviously, Kobe Bryant's news just, you know, really uh, came out of nowhere. And for me, I was sitting on our uh, our bench for women's basketball when I got a text from somebody that alluded to the news. And, you know, at the time, it was still maybe a little bit 50-50 on the validity of the source, but you know, it was confirmed and obviously is what it is now and just uh, – just a lot to uh, unpack from that, and yeah, yeah, really unfortunate uh, hit to the basketball community and, and the world in general. Yeah, no doubt about that. A ton of folks affected, once again, the news out of Southern California yesterday, Sunday, January 26th, 20 and 20. Uh, a helicopter crash carrying Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gigi, and also seven others and everyone on board that helicopter lost their lives in Southern California yesterday. Uh, an absolute tragedy. And, man, we, we see tragic things happen in the world all the time. And unfortunately, people die every day from accidents, from natural disasters, from disease. But it, it really hits home when somebody like Kobe Bryant, somebody who just feels larger than life, you know, a guy who's so omnipresent, a guy who's so well-liked and respected by everybody, not just people involved in basketball, but just by everybody. Everybody knows who Kobe Bryant is. Uh, when the world loses somebody like that, it really makes you stop and think, and it, and it drives home the point that, man, life is precious. Uh, nothing's guaranteed. Life is precious. you got to enjoy every single moment that you have. And, uh, man, I was hurting yesterday. I'd, I'd be lying if I said I didn't cry. And, uh, man, I spent uh, all of my Sunday afternoon just watching Kobe highlights, watching the coverage on NBA TV, hearing firsthand accounts and interviews from former teammates, former coaches, just guys around the league. And, uh, man, it, it, it really sucked. And, Nils, you were a guy who's, you know, you, you're a little bit older than both of us. You you know everything that happened. You remember Kobe Bryant in high school and obviously his early days with the Lakers and really his entire career. Just uh, your thoughts on his career itself and also the legacy that he leaves behind. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, if Magic Johnson says you're the greatest all-time Laker. That says a lot yeah. when you think about it, right? I mean, you got – 
Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, six-time MVP. You got Magic. You got Elgin Baylor. You got Will Chamberlain. I mean, you know, it's all said and done. I mean, he played there for 20 years, and you know, I kind of fell out of the Lakers, following the Lakers. The Lakers were my team from the time 1979 to 1992 when Magic retired. Me being a Michigan State fan, you know, I kind of uh, I didn't follow the Lakers. You know, I didn't follow the NBA like it did you know before. But you know, if you look at what he did, 18 time, you know, 18 time All Star. Won uh, five NBA titles, two MVP titles, one MVP. What's amazing to me is that he didn't win more MVPs, okay? So he wins an MVP in 2007-2008. Then the coming of LeBron James, if you think about it, right? Up to that point, you know, he enters the league. Like, you would think he'd have more than one MVP. That's the thing that I could – I was amazed at yesterday. It's like, how does he only have one MVP? But then, you know, with LeBron James, Derrick Rose, you know, Kevin Durant, uh, those people play in the league. But, you know, his impact as a pure basketball player on both ends, he's right there with Michael Jordan is the best two-way player that ever lived, right? If you think about offense, defense, because I don't know how many times he was on the all-NBA you know, defensive team first team, but he did things that, you know, not many people did, won the five titles. But the thing is, like, you know, he won the three with Shaq, and then he won the two basically on his own. I mean, if you call Paul Gasol a, uh, you know, a partner in crime, you know, type of guy, you know, his compadre on that deal. I mean, if you win a title with Paul Gasol, you can win it with anybody. You can win it with one of us three. That's how good he was. He's just the ultimate competitor. I mean, you know, that guy that came straight from high school and impacted, you know, like – what Jerry West said today in that interview when I was watching, he's like, in Asia, he's more popular than anybody. I mean, he's the Pied Piper. And, he, and, you know, he's not a real gregarious, outgoing type of guy. You know, he's very reserved, but people follow him because the fact he spoke three or four different languages. Probably one of the – I mean, if you think about just pure brilliance and IQ, be it emotional or just pure IQ, he might be one of the smartest basketball players that ever lived. And what he did over 20 years and how he impacted the game. And what's so sad is that, you know, he has – these three beautiful, or these four beautiful daughters, you know, and one, you know, deceased with him, Gigi. That the impact he's going to make in girls' athletics, I think, over the next 20 yeah. years, he could have. Like, he was going to be the next guy to kind of bring that forward. And it's sad that he won't be allowed to do that, you know, with his, with his death yesterday. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I know his playing career was over; that ended in 2016. But it really feels like Kobe's career was just getting started with all of the stuff that he was getting into off the court, both involving the game of basketball and beyond as well. And Nils, to get to your point, nine times Kobe Bryant was on the NBA's all-defensive first team. He's also a three-time all-defensive second team in the course of his NBA career as well. 18-time All-Star, which is the second most behind only Kareem. Five-time NBA champion, two-times finals MVP. And yeah, I think he got robbed out of uh, at least one more MVP award uh, regular season MVP award. I think when Steve Nash won back to back, I think one of those years Kobe Bryant should have at least had one more uh, in, in his resume. But man, both numbers retired in Los Angeles. And you're right. I mean, the fact that Magic Johnson calls you the greatest Laker of all time, we're talking about the most historic franchise in the NBA. And if you're at the top of the list of that, uh, that speaks volumes. And he, it's not just the greatest Laker ever. I mean, he's in the conversation of the greatest basketball players of all time. And Everybody wanted to be like Mike in his generation, but he was the closest thing that we've ever had since Michael Jordan. Uh, what about you, Lucas? Your thoughts, man. You're a little bit younger, but uh, you got to see a lot of Kobe's career, especially the number 24 Kobe Bryant days towards the end. Uh, you got any favorite Kobe memories and uh, your thoughts on the legacy that he leaves behind? Yeah, I definitely don't remember his days as number eight. Uh, and then when he was number 24 is when I would have gotten to see him a lot more. Um, Although when he was really winning his championships, I, I was still 
relatively young, uh, and I probably didn't watch the like you know basketball or the NBA as uh, as much as I do now, especially. But the moments that really stood out to me are probably some that a lot of people wouldn't say uh, his Olympic performances. I always remember I loved watching Team USA Olympic basketball even in 2008 and onwards. And you know I just remember the United States would play whatever country and. In the especially in the early rounds of of Olympic play, when they would just kill teams uh, after the game, all the players on the other team, no matter how bad they lost, would like want Kobe to sign their shoes. And uh, I thought that was that was always interesting to see, and just you know spoke to how much he was respected around the world. That these guys were just so honored to share the court with a guy like Kobe, no matter what uh, what the circumstance was. And then. I think the thing that probably stuck out to me the most as far as memories go was his last game in 2016 against Utah. And, you know, when he had 60 points, I just remember it was a very late game. Obviously, uh, they had the 24 on the court there. You know, it was a packed house. There were celebrities all over the place. And, like, you know, this was the end. This was the end of Kobe Bryant on the basketball court. And just that the way that he finished that game took over, like, old times. And I remember, because it was so late, I actually, like, watched the game, I think on my phone in my bed, because I thought, like, I was going to go to sleep because it was going to be boring. But then it, you know, stayed interesting and competitive. And uh, I just remember how impressive that was and what a way to go out for Kobe Bryant. So I'll say the Olympics in that last game, you know, really stuck out to me. Probably not the same things that a lot of people would say, but as someone that probably didn't get a chance to really appreciate his greatness as much when it was going on, uh, those moments stood out. Yeah, no doubt. I'm with you on those. I'll never forget his fourth quarter in the gold medal game against Spain back in 2008 when Kobe Bryant pretty much willed Team USA to victory as a member of the so-called redeemed team. Uh, that was great. I mean, that stuck out to me a lot. I'm not a Lakers fan, so I didn't grow up rooting for the teams that Kobe was on, but I sure as hell was rooting for Team USA, and I'll never forget that. And also, as a guy who's a, a lifelong fan of the Dallas Mavericks, uh, one of my earliest sports memories ever was Kobe Bryant's 62 points in three quarters against the 05-06 Mavs, which, by the way, the Mavs went to the NBA Finals that year. That wasn't a scrub Mavericks team. That was a West Coast game in L.A. Uh, I, my buddy had actually T-voted, and we ended up going straight to his house after school the next day to watch the Mavs-Lakers game. Then we watched Kobe Bryant outscore the Mavs over three quarters, and I'll never forget just being in awe and absolute amazement about how good he was and how just everything he wanted to do on the floor seemingly uh, worked for him that night. And, of course, the 81-point game, who can forget that, against the Toronto Raptors, absolutely magnificent. Uh, the second-best single-game scoring performance in the history of this league. There's just so many memories, so many great moments when talking about Kobe, and he lived for those moments. He lived for the big moments. He was as clutch uh, as the game has ever seen, and uh, that stuff will definitely stick out. What about you, Nils? You got any uh, favorite Kobe memories, maybe something that we haven't mentioned just yet? We just let's think about the eighty-one point game now, you know, versus the hundred-point game by Wilt, right? So Wilt was playing with the skinny lane at that time. What, what year was that? Nineteen sixty-one or sixty-two that Wilt scores hundred points in the game? Yeah, let me double check that. I believe that was sixty-two. Yeah, sixty-two. So which I think still had the narrow lane, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right. Okay, so I mean that narrow lane is not even you know if you think about it, you go back and look at the history of basketball. I mean, 81 points versus the 100-point weight, I still think that's the greatest individual game ever, the 81 points that Kobe scored, because of how he did it. He did it at all levels, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he could, 
you know, he could score three points, score from all levels, which not many people can do that. To score 81 points in an NBA basketball game, I mean, it's unheard of. I mean, and the fact that, you know, he did that, and, you know, if you think about it, the, the ultimate champion, you know, there's those five NBA titles up there with, the, you know, with the one person that has got more is the you know, individual, Bill Russell, you can say whatever you want about him. Those are all, you know, in the 60s. But in the modern-day era, right behind, my, you know, Michael, who had the six, Kobe had the five. Not many people could say that, you know. I think Magic had five. Jabbar had six, but, you know, one of those was with the, the Bucks in the 70s. But, you know, Kobe, 81 points in a game, you really can't do much better than that. And if you just look at the total impact on the game and how it was done versus Wilts, Will was going up against six, eight, you know, white dudes <laughs> that, you know, he's seven foot one beast that, you know, he was overmatching everybody. You know, Kobe was overmatching people, his intellect, his athletic ability, his ability to knock down shots. And I think, you know, he's right there with Michael Jordan, in my opinion, as, you know, one of the top two or three basketball players that ever lived. Really? So do you, do you think he's the closest thing the game has seen since Michael Jordan? Yeah, because he can just, you know, he wasn't a brute. You know, the thing about LeBron is it's his physical makeup, right? I mean, he's six foot eight, 265 pounds. I mean, built like a Greek god. But, you know, Kobe is that, you know, six foot six, two, three, you know, play the two or the three. And he could also play the point. I mean, there's nothing he couldn't do. I mean, he could play, you know, three or four spots and he could guard anybody he wanted to. I mean, if he, if he wanted to guard you, he was going to guard you. So yeah. that's the thing, in addition, that, you know, that Michael has that a lot of these players don't. You know, Magic wasn't a great defender. You know, Wilt played defense when he wanted to. But, you know, game in, game out, I think Kobe's, you know, ability on both ends, as we see with Kawhi Leonard, you know, he's the best. Kawhi Leonard right now is the best two-way player in the NBA, best two-way player in the world right now, taking that over from LeBron, from, you know, who's who was a great defender probably five or six years ago. He doesn't defend like he used to because just I don't think he can uh, maintain, you know, that kind of endurance as he gets older. But, Playing on both ends, he's probably one of the two, one number one or number two all time. Him and Michael, I think, that having that ability. Yeah, it was a magnificent career for Kobe Bryant, and I think one of the things that made him so much like Michael and that separated him and separates him from some of the other all-time greats is look, he's got talent. There's plenty of dudes with talent. The work ethic that Kobe Bryant had. I mean, the crazy stories that have come out over the last 24 hours or so since his passing of him just wanting to go to the gym, getting extra reps in, getting extra shots up in the middle of the night, every single night, the guy wouldn't sleep. And, you know, he died in a helicopter accident. One of the reasons he started taking helicopters so much around Los Angeles, which he did hundreds to thousands of times, I mean, in his playing career and after, he wanted to get he wanted to get around quicker. He didn't want to spend time in traffic. He wanted to get to practice quicker so he can get more shots up. Then he wanted to get home and spend more time with his family. So he started taking a helicopter to avoid dealing with downtown Los Angeles traffic. Like, that's the kind of mindset the dude had. He just wanted to outwork you. And he didn't just want to beat you. He wanted to rip your heart out, throw it on the ground, and then stomp on it. And I think a, a, an all-time great quote that shows just the competitiveness that Kobe Bryant had, this is before Game 7 of the 2010 NBA Finals when the Lakers were playing the Boston Celtics trying to win another championship. And Kobe Bryant was asked by a reporter, said, can you talk about what's on your mind, what's in your heart, what does a Game 7 in the Finals mean to you? And Kobe said, it's a game we've got to win, simple as that. I'm not going crazy over it, we've got to take care of business. And the reporter said, well, are you happy with that opportunity? Are you happy with the chance to you know, have a winner-take-all Game 7 to win the NBA championship? And Kobe says, no, the opportunity is not something that makes me happy. It's winning and taking advantage of that opportunity that makes me happy. The buzzer goes off and we're not victorious. Am I thankful for the opportunity? Nope. And I think that just shows the kind of competitor 
that Kobe Bryant was for the entire career. He wasn't happy to be there, guy. He wanted to win and win at all costs, and I don't know if the game has seen anything like that since Jordan had left, and that's why I think the, the Kobe comparisons are, are, are so fair and so warranted. I'd say it's pretty well said. I think the only other thing that I could add, and I think those touched on a little bit, just you know, being a part of uh, this women's basketball uh, at the collegiate level is that just how much uh, Kobe put into uh, supporting the WNBA, yeah. I think, was, was uh, admirable. And, you know, a guy of his stature that believed, you know, if you can play, you can play. And uh, just really respecting uh, what the WNBA is trying to do and helping it grow. Uh, you know, I think, yeah, after basketball, he could have just kind of gone about his life in, in a number of ways. And he really decided to, uh, you know, stay connected to the game. And really, I think he, you know, he always talked about trying to inspire other people so that they could be great themselves and I think that that was really the mission that he set out to accomplish following his playing career so it's really very admirable and uh yeah I think we we paid great tribute to him through what all three of us have contributed to uh to his memory today no doubt no doubt a great ambassador for the game of basketball and uh it, it sucks that we're losing him and selfishly speaking you know I'm bummed that we won't get a Kobe Hall of Fame speech and right? he's likely to be inducted likely he's definitely going to be inducted this year as a part of a star-studded class with the likes of Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan. And, man, I just I love hearing Kobe Bryant talk, whether it's about basketball, whether it's about life. The guy just always has the right thing to say. He's so intellectually there. He's so educated and uh, such a great speaker. It's a shame that we won't get to hear a speech from him. Uh, but uh, I heard Jerry Colangelo yesterday, who's the chairman of the Hall of Fame, he said, hey, we'll do a great job. We'll make sure we honor Kobe. And uh, I'm sure that's going to happen later this year. So, Bummer news, man. Really, really tough news yesterday. It kind of felt like the world stopped uh, as Kobe Bryant loses his life. Our thoughts and prayers are with his family, his wife Vanessa, who's been with him since they were 17 years old, and of course the three other daughters who lost a father and a sister yesterday, and uh, we can't forget about the seven other victims of the helicopter accident who uh, who lost their lives, and obviously thinking of their families and friends too. Uh, that's the worst part of all of this, man. We're, we're upset as basketball fans, but the fact that families were shattered uh, due to the events that took place yesterday is the part that, uh, that definitely hurts the most. And I thought it was pretty cool across the league, uh, NBA teams taking violations, taking 24-second violations, taking 8-second violations to, uh, to pay their tribute to Kobe. You saw an outpouring on social media from basketball people and non-basketball people alike. Uh, the Grammys gave him a shout-out last night in Los Angeles. Alicia Keys called Staples Center the house that Kobe built. Uh, it's very rare that you see anyone uh, lose their life and have it impact so many different people, but that's just the type of person and the type of player that Kobe Bryant was, so uh, he will be missed, no doubt about it. All right, guys, uh, trying to transition away to, to something a little bit less somber. Uh, over the weekend in the world of college basketball here in the great, of uh, the great state of Texas, we had the Big 12 SEC Challenge take place where all 10 Big 12 teams took on 10 of the 14 SEC teams over the weekend. Uh, the teams actually split. Big 12 won five games. The SEC won five games. Kind of lame that this thing ended in a tie. Uh, but let's go down the list of teams in the state of Texas. Let's start with the University of Texas. The Longhorns losing to LSU on Saturday. Yeah, lost to them in football, losing to them in basketball as well. 
69-67, to the final score at the Frank Irwin Center. Guys, I was in attendance at this game. Uh, Texas was down by 10 at halftime. They trailed by as many as 16 in the second half. It kind of felt like the game was about to get out of hand, similar to the West Virginia loss last Monday. Longhorns mount a little bit of a comeback. They actually take a lead with about five minutes to go, but uh, LSU comes back and they get the victory on the road. Texas falls to 12-7 and here in 2019-2020 for Shaka Smart. Nils, we'll start with you, man. Your thoughts on uh, Texas basketball's performance on Saturday and the state of the program as a whole? I mean, I think this is the one game in France for Schiller said. He said what Shaka needs to do with this team is play 10 guys and go back to that havoc because when they had success in the middle of the second half, they played full-court basketball. Donovan Williams played probably his best game uh, since he's been on the 40 acres. I thought he played really well. I mean, Jericho Sims is coming. I mean, he was unstoppable down there. I mean, I don't, I can't remember what his final stats were, but he played really, really well on Saturday. And I think his, you know, his ceiling is, I mean, he had, what, 14 points and uh, – I'm thinking seven rebounds. So yep. against a good LSU opponent who's one of the number one uh, rebounding teams in the country. You know, Jericho Sims is the guy they need to play through. I mean, he's, he gets better by the game. If you get him the basketball, he's going to do something you haven't seen before. And there were a couple times on Saturday he did something. You know, his offensive rating, according to Ken Palm, was 151. And that's second to none. Played 38 minutes. You know, he, they got to lean on him. He's the one guy on their team that if he's down on the block, you can't, you can't defend him. I mean, he's – Uber, uber athletic. Six foot nine, probably got a 40 inch vertical. I mean, he reminds me of the old Antonio McDias, you know, Sean Kemp. He reminds me so wow. much of those guys that if they, and get the ball on the rim for him to rebound it. I mean, there's no reason why he doesn't have four to five, six rebounds a game on the offensive end. Just get the ball on the rim, throw it up there, and see what he can do with it. You know, he, seven to nine from the field. I mean, Texas, they teased us on Saturday. Hmm. You're like, okay. They got back in this game. They got up on LSU, but every time Texas comes from a timeout and the other team's calling a play, it seems like the other team gets points. Texas tries to do the same thing, and they don't get points. So I don't know what the issue is there, where that stands, but the common denominator is that you know execution always seems like an issue down the stretch for Texas. You yeah. know they. And I don't think this team's as bad as people think. I know Chase Weber has played, I mean, he played probably his worst game of the season. Andrew Jones played much better. It seems like Andrew Jones kind of caught fire Saturday. I mean, Chase Febbers has three points, three points. Played 20 minutes, you know, looked like LSU determined, they determined like, hey, we're not going to let Chase Febbers beat us. And he didn't. He's one of five from three. Basically didn't show up in this game. Andrew Jones had the 20 points. Jericho played well. Matt Coleman, uh, you know, it just seems like to me if he has to score, he's not getting the other guys involved, and he doesn't do a great enough job to get other people involved. I mean, I really think this is a game. I don't think LSU's great. I think they're decent. I understand they're undefeated in the SEC, but they haven't played Kentucky yet. Um, they did beat Florida, but I think we will see uh, how good they are when they play, you know, Kentucky. But yeah. Texas is what they are, right? They're going to probably be. I mean, we've, we've talked about this before. Are they going to be a 7-11 seven, seven team in the conference? Are they going to be 8-10? and 10? What are they going to be? Yeah, now Ken Palm right now is Texas finishing 7-11 and 11 in Big 12 conference play. The Longhorns' next game will be at TCU on Wednesday. And you're right, man. I mean, Jericho Sims was great, 14 points on only nine shots. He was 7-9 of nine from the floor. It almost seems like he should be getting the ball a little bit more because he's, uh, he's tough to defend one-on-one. You force other teams to double them up. That creates some open shots for the other guys on the floor. I would like to see the offense go through him a little bit more. But you're right, Nils. I mean, it's a a repeat theme 
in the four and a half years of Shaka Smart here in Austin, where late in games, when this team needs a bucket, they need a play, they need a player, they need something, uh, they don't have it. And the Longhorns, after fighting so hard, coming from 16 down with the full court havoc, uh, they took a lead, but they went nearly four minutes without a point. They didn't score from 417 to 29 seconds. They went without a point, and you can't do that in close games against good teams, and we've seen that too many times with Shaka Smart. This team just lacks an identity, especially in the half court on offense. I'm with you, Nils. I'm with Fran Fraschilla. I would love to see more havoc. That's what worked for Shaka Smart at VCU. I don't think we've seen enough of that here in Austin, but, uh, man, a chance for a potential resume-boosting win for the Longhorns, and they they couldn't get it done. Lucas, what about you, man? Your thoughts on uh, where Texas basketball is at right now? I mean, I think I've said it a lot of times, at least to you for sure, is that, you know, Shaka Smart came in here and he said that they were going to employ their Havoc style of play that he used at VCU. Uh, when people asked him questions, it would translate or not. He always said it worked pretty well in the tournament when they made the Final Four. And, you know, they just never did it. Like, they just never pressed and committed to it. And then in this game, they're down big, and they finally give it a try. They finally start to apply some pressure onto LSU, and it works. And then they actually take the lead, like you said. And as soon as that happens, then they stop pressing for the rest of the game. And, like, I just didn't understand why they stopped something that was working so well. I mean, they had such a big turnaround, and then you just end it. Like, like why, why would you do that? Um, and then it forced them to slow down. And, and the half-court offense, it just looks like the, the guards just – you know, take the air out of the ball almost, and you know the ball the ball movement's pretty bad, and they don't they just don't have a way to to uh, you know score efficiently in the half court. And you know, I think I think we've just talked about how good the bigs have been at Texas over the last several years, and Jericho Sims looks like he can maybe be another quality big man for this program. But without the threat of shooting the basketball, I think it's just so hard to. Uh, you know, to play against these defenses that know what Texas wants to do and without the threat of an outside shooting, uh, you know, consistent outside shooting, then I think it just really makes it hard to uh, to run half-court offense. So I think they've just got to find a way to speed the game up and utilize the athleticism they have on this roster because they have plenty of that. I'm with you. Texas falls to 12-7 and on the year. Once again, TCU on the road on Wednesday. Uh, what about Texas Tech, guys? Texas Tech played a, a primetime game on Saturday. They had the marquee matchup in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Kentucky came to town. Crazy atmosphere at the United Supermarkets Arena. You had students camping out a couple of days in advance just to try to get in. That was as raucous as a college basketball atmosphere that I've ever seen. Uh, but Texas Tech comes up a little bit short in overtime, 76-74 to 74 the final uh, Davide Moretti missing a free throw at the end of regulation, which maybe would have given Texas Tech the victory. Uh, Texas Tech as a team shot just 3 of 19 from beyond the three-point line. Jamias Ramsey, the freshman stud sensation out of Duncanville, he struggled a little bit and actually was on the bench for the majority of uh, late in the second half and into overtime for Texas Tech. Uh, the Red Raiders lose what was a potential big resume-boosting win for them and one of their bigger home games in program history. Nils, your thoughts on what we saw on Saturday and also this Texas Tech team right now? I think this Texas Tech team doesn't have the maturity it had last year. I think last year it had unbelievable maturity. You know, had Jarrett Culver ended up being, you know, a top 15 draft pick. Uh, he was a mature sophomore, if you know his background. I mean, just a good, good level-headed kid. And then Mooney, who was a transfer from South Dakota, and then Tariq Owens, a transfer from St. John's. You know, they had a mature, mature team last year. And then, you know, in addition to uh, – what's his name? Uh, 
the kid from Puerto Rico. I can't remember all of them in front of me, but I don't. I think there's an issue with a lack of maturity on this team. They're probably a year away. Jemias Ramsey probably came in with the idea he's going to be a one and done guy. Uh, looks like he might be. You know, the Shannon kid out of Chicago. He's another kid, probably going to be a two year guy. But it seems like David Moretti is doesn't have that kind of. Uh, presence that the seniors had last year to kind of carry this team and so I think uh, Chris Beard is having a hard time getting those kids to buy in like how he likes them to buy in so that's why you see them with the up and down play they're they're not the team they were last year I don't think they're gonna make that kind of final four run Uh, I just don't see it I don't think it's in their DNA this year I think they're a year away from that Texas Tech falls out of the top 25. They also lost to TCU earlier in the week. Lucas, what about you? What are you seeing from uh, Chris Beard's bunch this year? Yeah, I mean, it was a heck of a game with Kentucky, and I thought Texas Tech had several chances to win the game at the end, uh, both of the second half and in overtime, but just couldn't quite seize any one of those opportunities. I uh, surprised they went away from Kyler Edwards offensively. I mean, he came out of the gate pretty hot, and then he really didn't do too much after that initial burst. Uh, same thing for Ramsey. I mean, I think uh, you go back to the Baylor game and Ramsey, even though Texas Tech lost that game, Ramsey was in at the end and, you know, hitting some shots to maybe keep Tech in it a little bit. But I was just kind of, yeah, wondering, you know, why he wasn't on the on the court. Um, you know, TJ Holyfield and Chris Clark, I don't think have had – they've been, you know, impactful players, but I don't think they've been quite as impactful as maybe I expected them at least to be for this team. But, yeah, offensively, I mean – the struggles for Moretti is that when he's guarded by a more athletic player, much more athletic player, as Kentucky could do in multiple matchups, then he just really can't drive the ball or create his own shot. So he's really going to rely on the rest of his teammates to set him up for shots off the ball. And, you know, that wasn't just, just being effective. And uh, so he, he struggled as a result of that too. And, you know, I get, but I do give a lot of credit to Kentucky. I think they were also given some poor officiating at times in that game. Uh, and they they stayed resilient, and Nick Richards had a heck of a game. Yeah. Uh, quick quickly had a heck of a game, and uh, Ashton Hagen's defensively was a menace. Uh, so I thought I just I was really impressed with Kentucky and how they handled the atmosphere. And you know when you talk about Texas Tech's maturity level, well I think Kentucky has shown that they actually have a maturity level maybe a lot greater than teams in recent years for the Wildcat program. Uh, they've had some very tough road games this year and capitalized on some opportunities to impress people. I, I was very, very impressed with the way Kentucky handled themselves in Lubbock. Yeah, big road win for them. All right, guys, other uh, Texas college basketball teams. What about Baylor? Still the number one team in the country. They go on the road. I don't know if they call uh, where Florida plays basketball the swamp, but they go to take on the Gators. Florida was actually favored to win this game, I think by two, but Baylor just did what they've done all year. They take care of business, a very impressive performance on the road. Uh, The Bears still the number one team in the country, Nils. I mean, doing a heck of a job, Scott Drew. I mean, let me ask you something. Would you take Scott Drew as a replacement to Shaka Smart as a Texas alum? Yeah, as much as uh, as much as it would hurt, I I would for sure. I mean, the job he's doing this year, I mean, is second to none. You know, we talked about this the last time, but this is a team that you know has lost one game on a neutral court back in November. You know, they've won what sixteen in a row. Yep, and uh, they continue to do it on the defensive end. I mean, the defensive the defensive efficiency is number four in the country. Uh, 
You know, they don't have a bunch of stars. I mean, that's the thing about college basketball. I mean, I don't know how many of these guys are bona fide first round draft picks in the NBA. I don't know if they have any. You know, maybe Butler's the kid that probably ends up being the best pro prospect. Um, you know, maybe Teague, I don't know. You know, Matthew Mayer's an awesome kid that, you know, kind of comes in and out. But Gillespie, we talked about Vital, talked about Bandu, a Juco kid. But this is a mature roster that knows how to play. He gets, I mean, they work well together. I mean, they work as well together as anybody in the country right now. And so they're going to be, I mean, the Big 12 championship will probably go through Waco after it went through Lubbock last year, right? I mean, and the school with all, you know, where everybody wants to go, supposedly Austin, Texas, you know, they can get out of their own way. So it's going to be, I think Baylor's going to be a Final Four team. They could end up cutting down the nets in Atlanta. You know, wouldn't that be something to see? But because they've got a mature team, and what what do we always say? What always carries? What always travels is defense, and yeah. their defense is, you know, you're not going to score 70 points against them. It's going to be really hard. You saw what they did to Ford on a at Ford. I mean, they held them to 61 points. I mean, that's hard to do. I mean, you know, they continue. They went up and beat Oklahoma State on the road. They beat Kansas, which is the hardest place, you know, one of the top three or four places in the country to win, the hardest to win at. And you got Texas Tech. I mean, they've got road wins that are probably three of the best road wins in the country right now, be it Florida, Kansas, and Texas Tech. No one has that on their resume, maybe outside of Illinois right now, who's starting to really play well in the Big Ten. But, you know, Baylor, unless something happens, somebody gets injured, I mean, I see them making a long, long run, being in the Final Four. And what would happen to Waco if they went to the Final Four? My uh, gosh. Yeah, that would be absolutely insane. You're right. Baylor's won 16 in a row, and they survived their first week of being the number one team in the country. You know, it's, that's almost been a curse this year in college basketball. You don't want that top ranking. Uh, Baylor had a little bit of a scare against Oklahoma last week, but they survived the Sooners and then going on the road, holding Florida to just 61 points when the Gators were favored in that game. Uh, pretty damn impressive what Scott Drew is doing in Waco. Uh, Lucas, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, not too much. Just I was also very shocked that Florida was favored in this game. Uh, and te- another, I mean, another game to talk about, Texas was favored to beat LSU. That was kind of surprising to me as well. But, you know, Baylor responds, goes into Florida, gets the win. And, you know, that's, a, that's an impressive win. As as you guys have both mentioned, team that, uh, you know, they, they trailed early on. Florida, Florida came out of the gate hot, but, you know, Baylor turned that around very quickly at the end of the first half and just carried it into the second half and did what they needed to do. So a uh, good win for the Bears and just be interested to see how the rest of their season unfolds because, yeah, they look like they have everything they need to, uh, to you know, obviously win the Big 12 but make a run. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, real quick before we uh, wrap things up here, I want to at least mention the other Texas schools that participated in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, give their results. We'll talk about these other programs more in future episodes. Uh, Arkansas knocks off TCU 78-67, to the final from Fayetteville. And Texas A&M lost to Oklahoma State 73-62, to the final score from College Station. Uh, Lucas, you did mention before we started recording today that you wanted to talk a little bit about the University of Houston. Kelvin Sampson's club once again finding itself in the top 25-21 in the most recent AP poll. They are 6-1 and in the American Conference. Uh, seems like business as usual for the U of H. Yeah, I think that they've just really shown how they they can be not just a you know one year or two year wonder. Last year, obviously, a very fantastic season and lost some guys that helped make that team successful. But they've very very adequately replaced them. Quentin Grimes has been outstanding transfer from Kansas. Fabian White really stepped up into a new role 
Uh, Caleb Mills has been very impressive as well for the Cougars, and you know they found their way back into the rankings and have you know won more games in a ranked position. Uh, they lost to Tulsa. I think their their only their only loss in the conference, and Tulsa's turned out to actually be pretty impressive too. Um, they'll see Tulsa at some point later in the year in February. But I just wanted to yeah give some respect to uh, the Houston Cougars because they've done a phenomenal job this season in the American Conference, and despite some key losses from last year, they have once again produced a very encouraging season through the month of January, sitting at 16-4 and four overall and tied for first in the conference. Nils, what about you, man? You're down in Houston. Your thoughts on uh, the U of H basketball team? I mean, you know, Kelvin Sampson's as good as coach as there is in college basketball. He's probably one of the top eight coaches. I mean, you know, if you think about his Oklahoma days, I mean, you know, he took Oklahoma to a Final Four back in 2003. Uh, you know, he's, he won 60 games prior to this year in the last two years, you know, in 2018 and 2019. And he lost in dramatic fashion both times. Should have beat Kentucky last year. The year before, he got screwed on the Michigan game on that, you know, if, if the kid doesn't miss those free throws and if, uh, Joe, you know, what's his name, Poole, you know, doesn't get lucky with a 40-foot shot. I mean, <laughs> that's a team that would have been in the Sweet 16, maybe one of the Elite Eight last year. I mean, Kelvin Sampson's as good as coaches there is. Every – all his teams play hard. And you forget about Dion Jarrell, you know, the transfer from UMass. He's starting to take yep, the next yep. step. I M2, mean, yep. long, he's, gonna, he's an NBA player. And Fabian White, like you mentioned before, Lucas, I mean, he's, I think he's their most improved player. Uh, Mill, I'm not a big fan of Caleb Mills. I don't think he's tough enough. I think he kind of wilts against the tougher teams. It'll be, see, it'll be interesting to see how he plays uh, the rest of the conference year and the conference tournament and the tournament because I don't know if he's tough enough. And then there's a kid out of, you know, DeSoto, uh, the Sasser kid out of Red Oak, uh, who's, you know, I think he's either his uncle or his dad who played at Texas Tech. He's a nice kid off the bench, you know, tough kid, South Dallas type kid that plays hard on both ends who can contribute some. And then, you know, they got Chris Harris Jr. who's kind of a rim protector. I mean, they've got the pieces to make another run into this second weekend of the, of the, of the NCAA tournament again. Yeah, second round two years ago before losing to Michigan. Uh, Lucas, I know you love that one, and you probably don't like uh, Nils calling pool shot a lucky one. And then the Sweet 16 run last year. Uh, maybe, probably what it was. Maybe, probably maybe. what it was. Get, you know, oh, yeah, you'll admit it. it? You'll admit it now? It's probably what it is. <laughs> hey, you'll take it. You'll take it. Maybe <laughs> part of the a, game, though. It's part of the game. It's part of the game. Yeah. Right? Maybe they make a run uh, even a step further this year for Kelvin Sampson. All right, guys, before we get out of here, did wanted to give a congratulations to the two Texans who were, were named McDonald's All-Americans last week. That would be Cade Cunningham and Greg Brown the third. Greg Brown, of course, out of Vandergrift High School here in the Austin area. Cade Cunningham now plays at Mount Verde Academy in Florida. Uh, Cunningham... Committed to Oklahoma State. Of course, his brother is an assistant coach on that staff, so we assume he's going to play basketball and eventually put pen to paper and sign and play for Mike Boynton at OSU. Uh, Greg Brown III, though, is still not committed. And, Nils, there's a lot of folks who just for a while have assumed that, hey, Greg Brown's an Austin kid, Vandergrift High School, like 15 minutes away from the campus of the University of Texas. It seemed pretty obvious for a while that he would be going to the University of Texas to play college basketball. But now with the future of Shaka Smart up in the air a little bit, maybe we're not so sold on Greg Brown staying home and playing for UT. But my, my question I ask is, where does he fit in? If he comes in next year, where is he going to play? What position? Um, I mean, Matt, if Matt Coleman comes back, he'll be your starting point guard. I don't know. You'll probably put him at a three. 
That's, uh, no, he's not a three. I mean, he wants to be a three, but he's not a three. I mean, he's a four and a half. I mean, he's Jericho Sims. He's probably a little more skilled than Jericho Sims, but, I mean, he's a four and a half. I mean, you've got Hepa, you've got Roy Sam, you got Will Baker. I mean, yeah, I figured, you know, you got Kai Jones. I'm not sure My if Jericho's is, coming back, but I figured if Sims does come back, you'd have Sims and Hepa and Brown would be sort of the front line. But yeah. I don't think Jericho's going to be on anybody's NBA uh, draft list. Yeah, I think he comes back for another year. I mean, maybe he doesn't. I don't see him being – uh, is he going to be a first-round draft pick? Yeah, I don't know. Most mocks don't have him there right now, so I assume he'll be back for another year. I would, I would hope. I yeah. mean, but my whole thing is, where does he fit in on the roster? You know, that's the thing. You know, how do they make him work? Where are they going to put him to uh, accentuate his skills? Because they're not good at that part. Right. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It feels like this team. I mean, they've had lottery players. Three of them selected in the. Uh, lottery era under Shaka Smart, and it just hasn't always worked out. I, I don't know. I mean, you don't you don't tailor your offense just for one kid necessarily, but is you know. well, they've tried to in the past with Jared Allen and Bamba, and then you know Jackson Hayes was just you know kind of a freak deal that no one had saw him coming to be a you know a top ten or top fifteen pick, and then a, you know the NBA draft. I mean, he came out of nowhere. So, so do you think this would be by Darren Horn? Yeah. Do you think this would be a a, a non optimal fit for Greg Brown or for the University of Texas? I don't know. I mean, where do you put him and Will Baker and Hepa? How do you play these guys together? I'm like, how do you? It's too many square pegs into round holes. It's always been the situation since Shaka got to the 40 Acres. Like, how do you maximize this roster, right? How does it work? Maybe then you do go play Havoc and you play uh, Jericho and Brown and Andrew Jones and Donovan Williams and Matt Coleman, and then just say, okay, we got the five. We got five athletic freaks. Let's see how we make this work. And we're going to run you into the ground. That's how I see it. You know, that would be the best way. And just getting those, because I mean, Greg Brown and Jericho Sims, not many people at six foot nine jump like those guys. So, right. you know, I give that would be your best opportunity in my opinion. But does that help Greg Brown his NBA? You know, skill development. You know, what are they going to see? You know, what are the scouts going to want to see from him? I mean, they're going to see a piece of clay that on his second jump gets up quicker than anybody in the country. You know, that's his attribute that no one else has. Is his second jump is faster than anybody else's. Yeah. Lucas, what uh, what about you? Your thoughts on Greg Brown and the uh, prospects of him maybe playing at the University of Texas? I mean, I think it's for me, it's it's just kind of like what Nose was saying. I mean, if he comes to Texas and plays there, you know, what what is the, uh, the half-court offense going to look like yeah. and how would it change? Because over the last, you know, however long it's been now, the half-court offense has just been stagnant and hasn't produce points, I guess, plain and simply. Like, in my opinion, I I think that Mo Bamba, like, at the top of a press would have just been just terrifying. And I would do the similar thing with Greg Brown where I would put him at, like, the top of a diamond press or something and put the other athletes behind him and just let the length and athleticism go to work and just play. But, you know, unless that happens, then I personally wouldn't really see the incentive in playing uh, in a half-court offense like that yeah. if I was that talented, just because I don't think that it would be very fun for me or beneficial, but uh, just my personal opinion. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it, it pains me to say as a lifetime Longhorn fan and a graduate of the University of Texas, like I, I would love a talent like Greg Brown III to come to UT, but I, I wouldn't blame him with what we've seen from this current coaching staff and what we've seen from this Texas basketball program over the last half decade to a full decade. Uh, it, it would be hard for me to criticize any top-flight recruit for wanting to go play their college basketball elsewhere to to be developed by better coaching and also to have a chance to compete for a championship, which it just doesn't feel like those things are happening in Austin right now. 
Uh, all right, guys, anything else uh, you want to add before we get out of here today? Not too much. Just uh, I hope that the college basketball keeps being competitive because I think it's been a lot of fun this year. No doubt. Nils, what about well, you? It's not competitive in Ann Arbor, is it? I mean, you guys, you guys are playing the not invited tournament up there. <laughs> yeah, Nils, your, your school might be the only one to. Country at one time. Yeah, you guys, your your Michigan State Spartans might be the only one of our three teams to uh, to make the tournament this year, man. I mean, that's how it's usually done, but that's right. That's neither here nor there. That's a standard feature. But I'm just talking about you know Jawan Howard, the experiment that is his coaching ability. Even though he likes to whine and cry, and how appreciative he is that he's the coach there. I mean, how, so, well, what's this do for his NBA career to be the head coach of the Heat there, Lucas? Well, the Heat look like they're pretty solid right now anyways, so I don't know yeah. if uh, that job will be open. Maybe the G up League might be. You know, what about the Austin Spurs? They need a coach, right? Maybe <laughs> go to the G League. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. You're funny. You guys never stop talking over there, huh? Oh, I'm, I, 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 I got to do what I got to do. I got jokes for you there, Lucas. <laughs> yeah, of course, with Michigan being 2-6 and six in the Big Ten this year, you know, uh, yeah, you know Nils is going to take those shots. Shoot. Oh, man. All right, guys. Well, good work today, as always. A lot of fun. Thanks to all of you for listening. Please like this podcast, share it with friends and family. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter as well at Texas Top 100 and check out the website, TexasTop100.com, for rankings, uh, recruiting updates, and all sorts of basketball happenings here in the great state of Texas. Feel free to DM us with anything that's on your mind as well. The DMs on Twitter are always open. All right. Until next time, thank y'all so much for listening. Y'all have a good one.